Ever since you can remember, you felt something in your chest telling you to move, to love, to speak, to try. Day after day, you pretend you don't hear it calling, or maybe you dismiss it as silliness or worse. But it's there, ready for you, and it will wait for you as long as you need. My name is Johnny G, and I invite you to join me on a journey of awakening as we dare to embrace our light. This is Refractive. Welcome to another episode of Refractive. I'm your host, Johnny G. You know what? I'm a mess. Even with the path of spiritual growth that I've focused on over the last several years, even with trying to live in a more unconditionally loving way, I'm I'm a mess. I'm just a soul, a body, and a mind. And in my mind rests my ego. And when I say ego, I don't mean behaving in a prideful way. I don't mean egotistical, the way we evaluate personalities and behaviors socially. I mean ego as in my earthly identity. It's the perfect shadow to my God presence. So I have my soul and then I have my mind slash ego. And my soul calls me back to the creator. My ego tells me I need to survive earth school. And my ego is complicated. I am full of attachments, attachment to concepts, traits, identities, attributes, thoughts, stories. And when I believe my ego, instead of believing reality, I suffer 100% of the time, always. Here's an example of what I mean by when I believe my ego, instead of when I believe reality, I suffer. Let's say I'm walking down the street and I see a young man who is hanging around and whom I interpret as someone who is unkempt. I believe this person is unfriendly, dirty. My ego tells me that guy's not safe. My ego tells me he's not reliable. He's not trustworthy. You need to protect yourself. You need to avoid him. All of those thoughts come from my ego. In reality, nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. But I have these thoughts, I have these stories that come up in my mind, and I believe them. And as I believe them, my serenity diminishes. They reduce my serenity and they plant seeds of pain and chaos. So reality says, just keep walking. Nothing's happening. 
Ego says, protect yourself, protect yourself, protect yourself. Danger. You know, in that moment, I'm living in a chaotic future. And what makes it even worse is that I'm now sending out bad energy to that person. I'm communicating non-verbally to that person, whether it's just through tight lips or whether it's through avoidance. I'm communicating that you are my enemy, which then might bring about the exact danger that I was scared of in the first place. You know, I'm not being friendly. I'm not being trustworthy. I'm not being compassionate. I'm not being the person that I expected this stranger to be to me. So because I predicted that this person wasn't going to be that way to me, this person wasn't going to be my friend in the world, this person was going to be my enemy, all of a sudden I became that person's enemy. I'm not shining out my light. I'm not living open-hearted. And, and wait, isn't that what I said my values are? So what's happening here? I'm living in a painful story that is 100% fabricated by my mind, by my ego, not by reality. What my mind and my ego tell me is happening argues with reality. And it's painful when that happens. It's all a mythology that I've subscribed to. And I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I know how because I am confused. I see this person on the street. I believe the story that's in my head about him. And my antagonistic perspective is the best I can do because I'm confused in that moment. When I hurt someone, and I don't just mean physical attack, but when I make someone feel in a negative way, like maybe how I might make that young man feel when I tense up in his presence. When I hurt someone, it's because I am confused by the lie that my ego and my mind tells me. No one would ever hurt another person if they weren't confused. That comes from Byron Katie. If you listen to Refractive, you know about Byron Katie. She is just, oh, she's my favorite of all the spiritual thought leaders and writers. No one would hurt another person if they weren't confused. And I'm confused in that moment. I'm interpreting reality in a false way and I'm responding to it. I believe that in order to survive easier, to feel better, to get out of this situation, 
to reduce my pain, I need to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is, right? When I'm hurting another person, I am believing that I am surviving easier, feeling better, getting out of a situation, reducing my pain. Whether I am stealing something, attacking someone, whether I'm cheating, whether I'm cheating in a relationship or cheating on a test, when I am lying, when I'm manipulating someone, whatever the situation is, why do I do that painful act? Because it is painful on a spiritual level to lie, cheat, attack, manipulate, steal. So why would I do that? Why would I do something that hurts me? That makes me feel terrible. I do it because it's, it's, it's in that moment of confusion. It's the best option I can find. And so I'm just trying to take care of myself using the guidance of my ego because I have in that moment forgotten how to use the guidance of my loving intuition to care for myself. My ego says, I'll help. I'll do it. I know what to do. And there we go. You know, Byron Katie says when she talks about someone who behaves in a, in a, in a way that causes pain, I would do the exact same thing if I believed what he believed in that moment. How can I judge him? I would do the same thing as he's doing if I believed what he was believing about reality. Wow. Like what a revolutionary thought. The next time someone cuts me off in traffic, the next time someone does something that I perceive as disrespectful, the next time someone does something I perceive as threatening, what if I just realized that, that I would do the exact same thing if I were in that person's situation, believing what that person believed? I have no choice. My mind has created a situation where I am called to protect myself from perceived future unpleasantness. Let me repeat that. I have no choice because my mind has created a situation where I am called to protect myself from perceived future unpleasantness. And so I do it because it feels like the only acceptable option. And because of that, I am innocent. I'm innocent. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a jerk. I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to live with the optimal outcome. It's not about you. I'm sorry you got stepped on. It's not about you. I'm just trying to make it, buddy. I hope you try to make it too. That's really what it boils down to. I'm innocent. But it doesn't end there. I'm innocent and I'm responsible. I'm innocent and I'm responsible for what I do. 
just because I'm innocent, just because I don't have a choice. I would do the exact same thing if I were in his situation and believed what he was believing, right? So even though I'm innocent, I'm responsible for the whirlpool of chaos that I create when I'm confused. I mean, look, relationships suffer when I create chaos, when I cause pain, relationships suffer, my peace suffers, my well-being suffers, my health suffers, my sense of security suffers. They all suffer. They all diminish when I behave that way. So my life becomes much less fun when I believe the stories my ego and my mind tell me. They become scary. They become difficult and challenging and stressful. So where does this leave us? It, it feels almost, it can feel like a sick joke. Wait, so Johnny, if you're telling me that we can't help but create that pain and chaos because we're innocent, we're just doing the best we can, how do we get out of it? How do we get out of it? Well, I can share with you how I've started to get out of it. I'm certainly not a perfect well, I am perfect, right? We're all perfect. I am perfect. But I am not an enlightened being. My ego and my mind play a big role in my life today. So I am also prone to all the little painful ways where I believe the mythologies and the stories in my mind and therefore hurt myself and hurt other people. The way I have learned to start to reduce that lies in choosing to believe in the complete perfection of every moment of existence in the universe. The way I have started to step back from that painful way of life, from seeing life as threatening and dangerous and unfair is by flexing the muscle, building the muscle over time of seeing that everything is perfect. Nothing is wrong. Nothing needs to be changed. I stub my toe, perfect. My father dies, perfect. I'm stuck in traffic. I'm going to lose my job. Perfect. My house burns down. Perfect. My child becomes a drug addict. Perfect. I'm held up at gunpoint. Perfect. My country goes to war. Perfect. My spouse is murdered. Perfect. It's all perfect. I didn't say it was fun. I didn't say it was joyful. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was perfect. This is the revolutionary mindset that unlocks the door to a serene, nourishing, invigorating life. And it is not my natural response. Well, 
Actually, I don't even agree with that. I believe it is my natural response. It's just that I've learned through society that that shouldn't be my natural response, that my natural response should be outrage. My natural response should be self-righteousness. My natural response should be self-pity. My natural response should be to rail against the universe. My natural response is to say, this is wrong. But a few years ago, I began to plant the seeds. What if I accepted everything as perfect? What would that look like? It feels revolutionary. It feels crazy. How can I say that my house burning down is perfect, that my father dying is perfect, that my child becoming a drug addict is perfect, that my country going to war is perfect? How can I say that and be a sane person? It's like any idiot would look at that and say, that's awful. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I was taught, and I would guess that many of you were, that I need to wrestle my demons. I need to grab the bull by the horns. I need to make the world do what I want it to do. That's, that's what I was taught by the world, by my ego. I got to do that. I've got to wrestle things to the ground and take what I need from it. And in order for that to feel okay, in order for me to feel justified in wrestling life to the ground and snatching what I need from it, I have to believe that things aren't right. The only way it makes sense for me to fight another person to take what I need by force is to believe that what I have isn't right or that what has happened isn't right. So of course I'm innocent. I believe that what I'm doing is right. Even as I see that it will hurt others, I believe that it's right. I know, I know. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there's a few of you who are ready to turn off the episode. What is this guy saying? He's a crackpot. What is he saying? Like, what does it mean saying that tragedy is perfect? What about Hitler? What about COVID? What about wildfires? What about child trafficking? I know, I know it's painful. I know. Yet, I still choose to believe that everything is perfect at all times. It took a while for me to get to build up that, that ability it required me to act as if, 
act as if, you know, acting as if is such a powerful faith building exercise. I always like to think about kids when I, uh, when I want to illustrate act as if let's say we have a, a, a toddler who's learning to tie her shoes. That toddler picks up those shoelaces dozens and dozens of times and is not capable of tying her shoes. And every time the toddler picks up the laces and tries again, it is acting as if, of course, you wouldn't pick up the laces if you were convinced it wouldn't work. You pick up the laces because there's a chance it can work this time. And by acting as if you can do it, eventually you can do it. So I am challenging you, dear, dear listeners of Refractive, if you want a world that feels perfect in spite of what everyone else around you says is awful and wrong, if you want a world that feels nurturing, serene, invigorating, It's time to act as if. It's time to act as if everything is perfect. It's not lying to yourself. When I first started this, I believed that I just didn't understand, which is true. You know, everything is perfect and I don't understand how, but I believe that it's perfect. That was my acting as if I couldn't really see the perfection in tragedy. I just accepted that I wasn't developed enough, that I just wasn't serene enough. I wasn't spiritually developed enough to see the perfection in all of that pain and heartache. And that was enough. Eventually, eventually, I began to actually see the love that happens in tragedy. It makes me think of the really famous Mr. Rogers quote, where he said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. If you look at the most atrocious moments in human history, they are full of people stepping up to provide love and support and help in the face of tragedy. Whether it's a neighbor that brings a warm coat to someone in the middle of the night as they watch their house burn, or the firefighters that are there trying to put out the blaze, or whether it is the tiniest act of kindness behind the walls of a wartime prison camp. Love and perfection surround us at all instants. If only we are willing to have the eyes to see it. Am I willing to act as if I can see the perfection? I can acknowledge the mystery of it. I don't understand, but I believe it's perfect. 
And then all of the sudden, one day, you just see. You see. Wow. Look at that person stepping up to help. Look at the opportunity for this parent to comfort this, this hurt child. Look at the opportunity for this social worker to feel like she's making a difference. Look at the opportunity for these people to support that grieving individual. Look at how the community rallied. Look at how this mother in a prison camp is taking care of her child as best she can. Look at the evidence of love. Look at the evidence of perfection. It's there at all instance, if only we're willing to have the eyes to see it. When I proactively look for the perfection in all things, when I build that muscle, everything changes for me. The world becomes a friendly place. I get it. Most people look at the world and say it is a hostile, dangerous place. I don't feel that way anymore. I used to, I swear to you, I swear to you, I used to. And it's not like I don't know that people are shot every day. It's not like I don't know that people are raped and murdered and hacked to pieces. I know, I know I'm not blind. I know. but I feel differently about it. I know it's perfect. I realize that the world just is, you know, God doesn't mourn the zebra when he's eaten by the lion. The lion isn't guilty. It's just what is. And it's painful for the zebra, but it's not wrong. And if someone mugs me on the sidewalk, it doesn't mean that I don't want to be safe. It doesn't mean that I don't wish the best for myself. It doesn't mean that I'm a punching bag that will constantly throw myself in front of danger on purpose. That's not what I'm saying. But can I find the space to recognize just how painful it is for this person to walk up with a gun to a stranger and mug them? What a painful thing for that person to do to himself, to herself, not just to me. How much pain and suffering must that person be experiencing? What stories in that person's ego and mind are they believing? What a nightmare for them to feel that the way out is to do what they're doing. No one would ever hurt another person if they weren't confused. Can I look at that person and say, take my wallet? And can I find compassion 
from a 10,000 foot view for this individual who is deeply, deeply, deeply hurting and still trust that everything is perfect in God's world. If I believe that this person shouldn't be behaving this way, then what I'm saying is God made a mistake in creation. That I'm more qualified to direct things. God shouldn't have given free will. It was a mistake. I am being wronged because God gave this person free will. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying when I believe something isn't perfect. Instead of saying, where's the love right now? Maybe the love is me. Can I look at this person with tenderness, compassion? Can I remember the times that I felt desperate enough to steal or to hurt a person, even if I never actually did it? Can I remember the times where I was so tempted? Can I remember the times where I sought vengeance, even if I didn't act on it? Can I remember the times where I was angry, aggressive, self-righteous, selfish? And can I say, yeah, under, under these circumstances, I would do exactly what this person is doing to me if I believed what he or she is believing right now. When I argue with reality, I lose, but only 100% of the time. That's another quote from Byron Katie. I really like it. So how can I do this? How can I grow to believe that my negative tendencies are perfect? Because that's what, that's what today's episode is about. My negative qualities are perfect. They're gifts. How is it that my greed, my self-righteousness, my willingness to use and manipulate people to get what I want or need, how is it that my violence that lives inside of me, how is that all perfect? My negative qualities are gifts from God. My negative qualities amplify my potential for service to others in several ways. I'll talk about two ways. First of all, as I cause people pain, I give them the chance to experience the divine healing of forgiveness. What does that look like? As I display my ignorance, if I say something hurtful, I give others the chance to see value in teaching me. I give others the chance to see value in helping me learn. As I strike out and attack another person, I give others the opportunity to choose unconditional love for me 
rather than conditional love based on whether I deserve it? Can I love the person who is hurting me? That doesn't mean I consent to be hurt. That doesn't mean I wish to be hurt. But can I do what Jesus asked me to do? Can I follow the guidance of the Buddha? By bearing the insult with unconditional love for this person who is hurting right now and say, yes, you are hurting me. And I understand why. I understand why. And yes, you are responsible for the pain you're causing me. You may go to prison for this. And you're innocent. You're innocent and responsible for the pain you're causing me. I don't wish you doom. I don't wish you destruction. I don't wish vengeance upon you. I don't. I love you. You and I are both sparks of the creator. And you're hurting me because you're confused. And if you have to hurt me, I promise I won't retaliate. I won't seek vengeance. I love you. It's a tall order. And because it seems so difficult, I don't know about you, but I gave myself permission to never even approach that standard. Not anymore. Not anymore. When someone hurts me, I expect myself to show them unconditional love. I don't always succeed. I don't always succeed. But that's what I feel called to do. And that is a peaceful, peaceful way to live. So many of my own personal and spiritual growth moments have come from painful situations. When I've been dumped, when I've been lied to, when I've found myself raging, when I'm hurt. And as I've experienced these things, and I still choose love in the moment, I heal from them. When I am hurt and choose to see love, which is the same thing as God's perfection, I heal. And I just told you that my negative qualities are gifts from God. How? Well, another way, as I do these things to others, as I lie to people, manipulate people, as I use people as disposable objects for my needs, my wants, my pleasures, they are then given the opportunity to grow and heal. I am being used like a tool by my creator. It doesn't mean I'm off the hook. It's not like, well, I can go do awful things to people because, I mean, I'm just giving them a growth opportunity. That's not what I'm saying. But one of my favorite quotes from the big book, uh, this, which is the nickname for the main text of Alcoholics Anonymous, says that nothing is wasted in God's economy. I can trust. So what I'm saying is I can trust 
that when I have hurt someone, I am being used as a part of the creator's perfect plan, even if it's not pleasant for me, even if it's not pleasant for them. Another way that my negative qualities amplify my potential for service is that I become relatable to others. As I grow through my challenges, as I heal through my damage and see unconditional love instead of a need for control, retaliation, um, vanquishing my enemies, God uses me as an example of what is possible. The terrible things I've done to other people, and there have been many, many terrible things that I have done to other people. The pain that I have caused other people might allow me to help a different person who is in the process of hurting people too, because I've been there. I did that too. I acted that way too. I know what's going on. I understand why it feels like that's the best path forward. I understand. I see you, brother. I see you. I'm there with you. I did it too. I did it first. I'm there with you. I'm not judging you. There's no judgment here. I used to live that way. It was a painful way to live. I've learned a way not to live that way anymore. If you'd like my help, I'm here. I've walked the road and therefore I become equipped to serve others who are walking the road. Isn't that what it's all about? You know, I spent years wishing that I didn't have these negative characteristics in my, in my, in my character. I wish that they would just evaporate away. And today I see this differently. Thank you for my disorganization. Thank you for my insecurity. Thank you for my body dysmorphia. Thank you for my selfishness. Thank you for my willingness to take advantage of people. Thank you for my dishonesty and manipulation. Thank you. Thank you for my violence. Thank you. Because I get to help other people who are violent or self-righteous or insecure. I get to show up for them. I no longer pray for my negative qualities to be taken away. I no longer pray because that means that I want reality to be different. We just talked about that. It means that I want my reality to be different. It means I'm arguing with reality. I shouldn't be this way. No, no, no. I should be this way. I am this way. I should be this way. And as I wake up to that reality, I grow more consistent in my perspective that everything is perfect. And ironically, I engage in those behaviors less by shining the light on them, by seeing them for what they are, a hurt little boy trying to make it through. That's all it is. And by shining the light on that and seeing it clearly, the boogeyman fades away. 
it no longer makes sense. Slowly, gradually, it begins to no longer make sense. Manipulating people doesn't seem to make sense all of a sudden. Stealing doesn't seem to make sense. Lying doesn't seem to make sense. Cheating doesn't seem to make sense anymore. That's what happens. It's gradual. It's not overnight. It's not a lightning bolt, at least not for me, maybe for some of you. So I pray instead, instead of asking to be made different than I am, I pray for the acceptance, the strength, and the willingness to see each moment through the lens of unconditional love and that I might act accordingly. Trusting that all is truly, truly well. This perspective, this way of life, which is new to me just in the last few years, it has led me, and I believe it can lead all of us to a life of serenity, acceptance, fulfillment, and more consistent joy. Thank you so much for listening today. Aim your light. Take care. You've been listening to Refractive Podcast, and this is Johnny G. If you found today's content uplifting, if you think it might make somebody's day better, give it a share on social media, click like, subscribe. All those things help to expand this podcast availability to new audiences. I'm a speaker, a coach, and a facilitator based out of Washington, D.C., but I travel a lot. If you think I can be of service to you or to your organization, help people get unstuck or move into their authentic power, shoot me an email. My email address is refractivepodcast at gmail.com. Take care. Thanks for listening and aim your light.